Man, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week, we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week, we'll be discussing Kiss of the Spider-Woman. First, how are we doing? I hope that this episode finds you well. We had a little bit of time before we had to sit down and record this episode, and Patty told me a little something about herself. Uh, she revealed that for some time now, she has wanted to learn all about the floss dance that I believe was made popular by the Fortnite video game. I told her that I was also vaguely curious. I think we're on the same wavelength here. We know about it, but when we see it in action, we're mystified. And we have this vague need to master it and become <laughs> become more in, in control of our bodies by doing it. It seems so ethereal and supernatural when you see people do the flossing dance from Fortnite. It sounds, it's also sort of out of character for either of us to care about something like this. But we agreed... We, we were sort of astonished by how uh, similar we were in our outlook on this dance. So we looked up, before we started recording today, we looked up a couple of YouTube videos before we finally settled on one that seemed to be uh, the, the best option. It was a, sort of a training lesson type video on how to do the floss dance. And I would say that we didn't master it today, but I think that with time, we will be able to... I don't know. There's something... We, I, I'm worried that there might be something completely lacking in our, in our bodies and in our minds that would prevent us from really mastering this. But I, I shouldn't be negative. I should be positive, right, Patty? Patty is nodding. I mean, we should be able to do this. I, I'm just going to tell myself that. We will be able to do this. Affirmative. So that's where Patty and I are right now. Uh, <laughs> we got so hepped up during that that we barely needed are, uh, you know, our usual cups of five, six, seven, eight, uh, Orange Grove, I believe it is. Uh, I should know that we've been, <laughs> they've been our sponsor now for quite some time. But enough idle chit-chat about <laughs> video game dances that that, that that cultural relevancy has expired, right? That's been taken off the shelf. And so now, of course, Patty and I are interested in it. No, don't take it away. Now we want to learn about it after everyone else after every child in America has completely moved past it. What are they like now? Pez? I don't know. Uh, let's get the show facts for Kiss of the Spider-Woman, shall we? Oh, yes, let's do that. Uh, Kiss of the Spider-Woman is based on the 1976 Manuel Puig novel, P-U-I-G. Again, right off the bat, we got a name that's a little hard for me. And the name of that novel in Spanish is El Beso de la Muer Arana. The Wikipedia page for the musical makes no reference to a 1983 play adaptation of this novel, nor does it reference the 1985 film, which starred William Hurt, Raul Julia, and Sonia Braga, and premiered before the musical's first workshop. Now, this seems odd to me, considering the film's success. Not only did the film make $17 million domestic, about $40 million when you take inflation into account, it was the first independently produced film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, and William Hurt's performance in the film earned him the Best Actor Oscar. If the Wikipedia page for the musical is trying to act as if the film film wasn't a major factor in its development, I have to call foul. I call foul. I, in fact, I cry it. Wah! I cry foul! Wah! The original 1990 workshop of the Kiss of the Spider-Woman musical was developed as part of an initiative organized by State University of New York at Purchase and a recently formed producing organization known as New Musicals. That was the name they went with for their new... <laughs> production company. They decided to call themselves 
new musicals. I, I don't know. <laughs> You're probably staring unblinking toward the horizon right now, and that's how I feel in regards to that name. Uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, their program sought to develop 16 new musicals over the course of four years, with the shows being performed on the university's campus using their spaces. Uh, so attempts to dissuade major New York critics, including Frank Rich of the New York Times, from reviewing the Spider-Woman workshop were ignored. Everybody came anyway. Everybody wrote reviews. They filed reviews. And a lot of them were very negative, including the review that was written by Frank Rich of the New York Times. As a result of this bad press, the New Musicals organization was shuttered after Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Thanks a lot, Frank Rich. Uh, For the record, the other musicals that were scheduled for that year were The Secret Garden, My Favorite Year, and Fanny Hackabout Jones. Now, I'm familiar with The Secret Garden and My Favorite Year. Not so much Fanny Hackabout Jones. Tried to do a little bit of research on that. Not entirely sure. Wasn't really able to confirm how far along that went after New Musicals folded its program. So it might have been it might have been a victim more so than those other shows. Those other shows were fine. But Fanny Hackabout Jones looks like that might have gone right into the ground. Spider-Woman would go on to be produced in Toronto and London before finally premiering on Broadway, where it was once again negatively reviewed. I guess it was more of a mixed review from Frank Rich, though he did enjoy Cheetah Rivera's performance. Uh, So it became the 1993 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. Uh, It opened on Broadway specifically on May 3rd, 1993 at the Broadhurst Theater and ran for 904 performances. So despite your best attempts, Frank Rich, that show became a success. Uh, The book was written by acclaimed playwright Terrence McNally. The music was by John Kander, and the lyrics were by Fred Ebb. Uh, Kiss of the Spider-Woman is the 11th of their 16 major book musical collaborations. I'm very excited to be talking about a Kander and Ebb show for the first time here on the podcast. A quick rundown on the... They have other credits beyond these, but these are their major book musical collaborations. So we have, starting in 1965, Floor of the Red Menace, and then moving right down the list as quickly as we can, Cabaret, The Happy Time, Zorba, 70 Girls, 70, Chicago, 2x5, Woman of the Year, The Rink, and The World Goes Round. Then we have Kiss of the Spider-Woman, followed by Steel Pier, Over and Over, Curtains, The Scottsboro Boys, and then their final collaboration in 2015, also involving uh, Cheetah Rivera, The Visit. The director of the Broadway production of Kiss of the Spider-Woman was Harold Prince. Uh, The musical director, that specific position is not credited on the internet uh, Broadway database. Instead, we get two other distinctions. So we get Musical Supervisor, which was Jeffrey Hard, and the musical coordinator, which was John Monaco. The choreographer of the production was Vincent Patterson, with additional choreography uh, devised by Rob Marshall, who we discussed last week. He was the director of the Into the Woods film adaptation. The set design was by Jerome Sirlin. The lighting design was by Howell Binkley. The costume design was by Florence Klotz, and the original Broadway cast included Brent Carver, Anthony Crivello, Cheetah Rivera, Kirstie Carnahan, Hern Lackey, Merle Louise, Jerry Christikos, Joshua Finkel, Colton Green, Philip Hernandez, Michael McCormick, Keith McDaniel, Robert Montano, Dan O'Grady, Aurelio Padron, Raymond Rodriguez, Gary Schwartz, and John Norman Thomas. Once again, I have to give a blanket apology to any names that I mispronounced. I The, the people who own those names, I apologize to you specifically. You own those names and you know how to pronounce them, and I, I did my best. I always do my best. I'm the musical man, but I can only do so much. Now, Tony nods. Let's get a full breakdown here. So these are the uh, nominations here. These are the awards that uh, they didn't wind up taking home. So they were nominated for Best Direction of a Musical, which went to Harold Prince. Uh, Nominated for Best Choreography, Vincent Patterson and Rob Marshall. Nominated for Best Scenic Design, Jerome Searlin. And nominated for Best Lighting Design, Howell Binkley. So let's talk about what they won. They won Best Musical, as I mentioned right up top. They won Best Book of a Musical, which went to Terrence McNally. Uh, They won Best Original Score, 
John Kander and Fred Ebb. Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical, Brent Carver. Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical, Cheetah Rivera. Best Performance by a Featured Actor in a Musical, Anthony Crivello. And Best Costume Design, Florence Klotz. So 11 nominations total and 7 wins. When it comes to the plot of the show, I'll try and keep it short since it's not especially complicated. So Kiss of the Spider Woman focuses on two men. We have two male leads here. We have Molina, a homosexual who has been thrown into an Argentinian prison for, quote, corrupting a minor, and Valentin, that's the second of our two male leads. Valentin is a Marxist revolutionary who is arrested after being marked as a terrorist. I should say I'm a little fuzzy on when the events of the show take place, though according to Wikipedia, the original novel is set during September and October of 1975. The film changes the location from Argentina to Brazil, uh, but again, the show sort of goes back to the original source material, places it back in Argentina, so I'm going to assume that the timelines are the same as well. Now, these two men wind up sharing a prison cell, and at first, they don't see eye to eye. They're kind of an odd couple, as it were. You know, Valentin, he's a man's man, whereas Molina used to be a window dresser. Valentin is straight. Molina is gay. Valentin, you know, he rails against the horrors of everyday life, while Molina tries to ignore them by escaping into fantasy, specifically a world of movie magic in which his favorite starlet, Aurora, reigns supreme. Aurora, as played by Cheetah Rivera in the original production, routinely overshadows the events of the, quote, real world to perform dazzling song and dance routines, much to Molina's delight. Only one of her movie roles frightens him, that being the mysterious and titular role of the Spider-Woman. Her kiss sends a man to his death, you see, and Molina is afraid of facing her when his time comes up. Molina and Valentine butt heads for a bit before eventually becoming cautious friends and comrades. Comrades. Valentin is routinely tortured for information by the prison guards, and Molina tends to his wounds. The guards try to poison Valentin with tainted food, but Molina eats it first. When Molina opines for a friendly married waiter named Gabrielle that he once knew on the outside, Valentin chooses to open up about his own love, a woman named Marta. Eventually, despite his better instincts, Molina finds himself falling in love with Valentin, and they become close enough that Valentin participates in one of Molina's movie fantasies. When the guards offer to free Molina so he can visit his ailing mother, Valentine offers to have sex with him if he'll place a call to Marta once he's on the outside. Molina protests at first, making it clear he doesn't want sex out of some misplaced pity. But Valentine insists it is what he wants. The specific exchange as heard on the Broadway album is as such. Molina says, why are you doing this? And Valentine responds simply with, because I want to. They have sex. Molina is freed. But the warden of the prison has already set a trap for Molina. Seconds after placing a call to Marta, Molina is snatched up by the guards and thrown back into prison, where he refuses to provide any intel on Valentin. He won't give up the name of the person he was calling or the information that was being passed along by that call. When Valentin demands that Molina not sacrifice himself, not for me, he cries, Molina echoes his friend's line from earlier. He simply says, I want to. Fed up, the warden shoots and kills Molina on the spot, much to Valentine's horror. The show ends with Molina embracing the Spider-Woman in heaven, all while being celebrated by Valentine and the denizens of his Hollywood dreamscape. It reads a bit like a Jacob's Ladder or Brazil-type ending, but the final note is an optimistic one nonetheless. Molina may have never understood Valentine's politics or why he was placing that call to Marta, but for once in his life, he confronted reality and he took action. Instead, Instead of uh, fleeing from reality and, and remaining ignorant. And so he is able to die happy. I do want to provide a big note of clarification here right before we go into uh, the rest of our analysis. Uh, so Kiss of the Spider Woman and I were on a bit of a roller coaster this past week. At first, the show struck me as being somewhat mediocre and dependent on tragic gay stereotypes. I, I really, it got on, it got 
under my skin. It got on my nerves, and I had this very negative reaction to it. But then I realized that work-related stress and personal anxieties and, frankly, just out-and-out depression were completely tainting my experience with the show. This struck me while listening to the second of the two cast recordings, the Broadway cast recording. I suddenly thought to myself, oh, wow, no, this show is actually quite good, very good. So I deleted most of my initial notes, which were way too cynical and negative, and I tackled the show again with fresh eyes, with fresh perspective. I'm glad I did that. If you ever find yourself sneering at a work of art, it doesn't hurt to evaluate your mood, your physical and mental condition at that time, and see how it may be affecting your outlook. You know, ask yourself, have I eaten? Am I pissed about another matter entirely? Are 17 other subjects trying to crowd my brain for attention? And is that sort of sending me into a spiral? I was working from home when I was having this very negative experience with the show, and I think a huge part of it was that I just simply wasn't eating enough throughout the day which tends to happen when I work from home, but you're not here to hear about my work-related stress. So these are important questions. Ask yourself when you're watching something, when you're reading something, and you're having this negative reaction, is it really the fault of the material, or are you just pissed? Maybe setting it down, walking away, and then coming back will allow you to have a more optimistic and positive uh, perspective on it. Maybe not. I would think that, you know, for the most part, maybe you would still feel the same way, but it's something I, I, I realize it's something I really need to take seriously and consider when I'm approaching these shows. And I'm glad that I was able to clear the deck. And this is this is what I honestly feel. These The notes that we're going to get here as we move through the rest of the show, these are my true feelings. And I'm glad that I was able to sort of throw away everything else because that was going to be that was going to be dishonest. There was no need to keep those notes on the record. So just wanted to throw that out there. Let's talk about my research sources this week. So I have seen the 1985 film adaptation of the novel. I've seen it once before, but I didn't watch it again as it didn't seem uh, necessary. I didn't think it would necessarily help my ability to analyze the musical itself. I really wanted to read the book by Terrence McNally. Once again, I have been uh, bested by the Slowpoke Chicago Public Library System, which I adore, but sometimes it really does take way too long to get certain things. Uh, this, this book, this script, was in transfer to my nearest branch. It's still technically in transfer. It's been that way for over a week, I think. But it didn't show up in time, is my point. So moving forward, it's clear I just need to do the work and hoof it to the Harold Washington branch and get these materials myself. I did listen to the 1992 original London cast album. As I said, the show uh, premiered on the West End before it was transferred to Broadway. You'll want to listen to this London album solely for Cheetah Rivera's performance, though oddly enough, this version of the show isn't available on Spotify. If you're a true blue musical nerd and don't mind shelling out a few bucks, put them on the counter and bask in Cheetah's brilliance. Buy this album and enjoy yourself. The London album is creakier and more limited than the Broadway album, which provides a lot more helpful context via dialogue from that book that I wasn't able to get my hands on. Uh, But none of us should sleep on Cheetah, right? She's worked too hard, so put your money on the table and listen to those songs as sung by Miss Cheetah Rivera. I watched the 1993 Tony Awards performance in which uh, Miss Cheetah Rivera serves gender-fluid fuck-you-realness in a crisp white tuxedo and Casablanca-style hat. Uh, it's really great. She's performing the number Where You Are, which is one of my favorites. I'll get more into why I enjoy it so much. Uh, but it's a great Tony's clip, so it'll be available via the Twitter profile, uh, Musical Man Pod, so check that out. And then finally, I listened to the 1994 Broadway replacement cast album, which I purchased with help from your monthly Patreon donations, so thank you very much again uh, for your generosity. Uh, This album, as I said, it's the replacement cast, so it features Vanessa Williams and Brian Stokes Mitchell, who replaced Cheetah Rivera and Anthony Crivello, respectively. Uh, Vanessa Williams is rock solid on this and much more suited to the role of Aurora than she is the witch in Into the Woods, if we're being honest, but Brian Stokes Mitchell blew me away all over again. 
If you'll recall, I got a huge kick out of Brian Stokes Mitchell in Kiss Me Kate, but wasn't especially affected by his turns in Man of La Mancha or South Pacific. Uh, his singing has always been wonderful on all of these different albums and all of these different contexts, uh, but his performance as Valentine was the wake-up call I needed to realize just how much I was enjoying Kiss of the Spider-Woman. He woke me up, he shook me out of my grouchy-ass stupor, and, you know, thank heavens for that. So, to review, listen to the London album for Cheetah and the Broadway album for Brian Stokes Mitchell. You won't regret it. I, I distinctly have a memory from this past week where I didn't even realize he was on the album. The, the album cover clearly states that Brian Mitchell, not Brian Stokes Mitchell, the Stokes is oddly absent. It's just Brian Mitchell is listed on the cover of the album. I didn't pick up on that. I just recognized his voice. I was struck by the talent of this man that I'm hearing, and then I thought to myself, motherfucker, is this Brian? I thought, is this Brian? And it was, and I was just so pleased, and that was the key that turned the door, the lock. The key that went into the lock of the door, I opened the door, and on the other side positivity. Thank God. Thank you, Brian. Let's talk about the songs, the score of Kiss of the Spider-Woman. I do have a general note here right up top. There is a playful Calypso-style sting that often appears throughout the Spider-Woman score, and I find it to be quite cheesy and fun. Let's hear that right now. Hey, Molina, you little queer. Here's a new leading man for one of your movies. He's just your type. Prisoner 57884. Name, Luis Alberto Molina, age 37. Sexual offender. Arrested for corrupting a minor. Male. Serving third year of eight year sentence. It's fun, right? It's cheesy. It's delightful. It calls to mind the beige cantinas of Naked Lunch, where bulbous alien creatures sit mojitos and commiserate with blandly horny homosexuals who like to wear billowy white dress shirts. That's what Naked Lunch is about, right? I've seen the movie. It's kind of stupid. It barely exists in my mind. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the prologue. our star front and center, which is a wise decision. Audiences flock to Spider-Woman, I presume, to see Cheetah Rivera in all her Broadway glory, or Vanessa Williams, if you're a Vanessa stan. So, you know, give them what they want in these first few moments. It makes total sense. The prologue also makes room for some creepy crawly spider music, which makes me dance slowly from the shoulders. Let's, let's listen to it right now. Now just imagine as you're listening to that, that my shoulders are moving but nothing else is. Ooh, I'm just making little jabs with my shoulders. It's so fun. You know, like a spider. I'm kind of moving like a spider. <laughs> I love music that evokes the clattering of bones, as we've already established. And now I love a spider theme. Write music that makes me think of things. <laughs> bones, spiders, whatever you want. We do get a fantasy sequence from Cheetah Rivera as Aurora right at the top of the show. I'm not going to play a clip from it. The name of the song is Her Name is Aurora. I, I don't feel the need to play a clip from it because it's nice enough. It's a nice enough way to introduce the character in the context of the plot itself. Molina is invoking Aurora. He's begging her to appear before him because he's feeling desperate. He's feeling, you know, hemmed in and he needs that escape. But honestly, I prefer any of her other fantasy numbers throughout the show. I'm going to just also for the sake of time, there's a lot that I want to get to in this score. So Her Name is Aurora is fine. I wouldn't necessarily tell you to skip over it because it does provide that important plot context. But for my purposes, I just want to keep on moving. Let's get a little bit of Over the Wall. 
There are big busted women over the wall. Over the wall. There are big busted women who bake on the beaches with oil on their bellies. Over the wall. Over the wall. There is rum from the cane fields. Over the wall. Over the wall. There is rum from the cane fields in round bolting barrels. It stings when you swallow. Over the wall. Over the wall. There is sun on my taxi. And cakes in my oven. Fish in my netting. And geese in my barnyard. And big busted women. Over the wall. Over the wall. Over the wall. And I wonder if I'll ever see them again. Over the Wall is There Is Nothing Like a Dame for Hardened, Horny Convicts. The loudmouthed sexuality on display in this song reads as more than a little goofy. Uh, these fellas just can't stop singing about big busted women, can they? But a later reprise grants the ensemble more depth. Beyond lust, these prisoners are concerned with what is and is not happening beyond the walls of the prison. They're asking themselves, is my lover being faithful? Are my friends and children defending or disowning me. I was drawn much more to these questions than their need for sex, which shouldn't come as a shock. Wow, the musical man not relating to the horniness of straight male boners, the leaky boners of straight men. I know, shocking, that didn't really get me, but I'm glad that Kander and Ab kind of plumbed the depths a little bit more, dug a little deeper with this song. Raise that skirt just an inch or two, add some rouge, just a pinch or two, start the fan. No, much gustier stuff that gauze, make her bustier, ooh, that rock. Too much red in it, I would not be caught getting it well. They start out like hell, but I make them sell by dressing them up. From earrings down to their boots In evening dresses or suits Unlike some second-rate fruits At other second-rate stores Which can't compare to my own You'll never catch them Wearing a frown or catch them Dressing me down for my Fiendness Dressing them up I had the touch Thank you very much Dressing Them Up is certainly one of my favorite songs from Kiss of the Spider Woman and the best showcase for Molina, hands down. I think the show wants us to view his journey as that of a man who discovers something worth fighting for, something that's more important than the life he once led as a window dresser, but I like window dresser Molina a lot. He is very comfortable in his own skin during this number, very confident to the point of arrogance almost, and is unwilling to uh, let the attitude of others affect that outlook, affect that confidence. My initial take on Molina when I was hungry and frustrated by other matters, if you'll recall, was that he was little more than this, uh, I believe I already used this term, but tragic gay figure who only existed in the show to swoon over and die for a hetero sexual man, that being Valentine. But the Broadway album, with its surplus of dialogue, gives the character a lot more room to breathe and come off as much more nuanced than my initial interpretation. Molina isn't a fool. Yes, he may fall for the wrong guys and spend a little too much time indulging in fantasy, but there's a lot more here than I initially gave Terrence McNally credit for. My apologies, Mr. McNally. Uh, You are a renowned playwright, after all, and you're a renowned playwright for a reason, and I defer to you from here on out. I trust you. I give myself to you, Mr. McNally. You're making me sick with that prissy wine. Watch me now. I draw a line. So you stick to your side and I'll stick to mine. Never, ever cross this line. Fine, but the pot. How about the pot? What about the pot? It's on your side. So what? So when I have to use the pot, I intend to use the pot. What? That's an exception. Oh, gracious one, thanks a lot. So don't ever try to be. Don't ever dream you'll be. Don't dare to think that you'll ever be some fairy friend of mine. Cause no, 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 no That's where I draw the line 
I draw the line. Fine. I draw the line. Fine. I was very happy in hindsight to confirm how little sing fighting there is in this show. And who would blame me after the time I spent with Miss Saigon? Most of it is relegated to this one scene in which Valentine does his best to bark at, intimidate, and push around Molina. Molina isn't phased a bit. <laughs> that that's I was delighted by that. I thought to myself, go Molina, show that breeder who's boss. You know what I also like from this little number I draw the line is the name of it. Uh, I, I really enjoy how they refer to the toilet as the pot and keep saying the pot. What about the pot? What if I have to use the pot? It just amuses me. song in which Molina's mother and Valentine's lover, Marta, appear to and insist that they do not need them. They say, we do not miss you. We do not think about you. Uh, Like the song Where You Are, which is coming up next in our analysis, it's a subversion of expectations you won't see coming. Whereas other men would dream of their loved ones pining for them, Molina and Valentine imagine them as cold and unfeeling. It's another survival tactic that prevents their spirits from breaking irrevocably. This track may take a few go-arounds to appreciate like it did for me, but it's worth the mileage, and you'll grow to appreciate like I did just how difficult it would be to pull off. It's really beautiful. It's very silky and just graceful and lovely, and I really do loved it. I really do loved it. I loved it, for crying out loud. Get it together, Jonathan. You've got to learn how not to be where you are. The more you face reality, the more you scar. So close your eyes and you'll become a movie star. Why must you stay where you are? You've got to learn how not to see what you see. The slice of hell you call your life is harsh and mean. So why not lie beside me on a movie screen? Why must you see what you've seen? And if you find that you land in jail, a little fantasy will not fail. It's just as simple as ABC. Come up here, play with me, play with me. Okay, so Where You Are is the number one song from Kiss of the Spider Woman. Uh, It continues the philosophy from Dear One, which we just discussed. It pushes the value of fantasy when your circumstances seem hopeless. Cheetah is at her very best on this track, delivering smoky-eyed diva wisdom with the sort of crackling, no-bullshit vocal delivery we love so much. That's what we love about her. Her voice is like this low-level flame that could explode in your face at any moment, and you welcome that heat. You welcome that intensity. You welcome it. There's a Fosse vibe thrumming throughout this number that I really like, especially when the ensemble begins to echo Cheetah's lyrics. Let's get a little bit of that. You've got 
How do you not picture those fossy pop-pops, those jabs and thrusts, and all of those iconic stances when you hear this material? It's Oh, it's great. I mean, Kander and Ab have worked with Fosse in many respects. They had at this point leading up to the development of this show. So I'm not surprised that they would be uh, so greatly influenced by their time with him. And I'm, it kind of reads as like a fun little dedication homage to their collaborator. I really, I really like it. I've really loved, loved, liked it. So I close my eyes and I hear her step and I know she's come to hold me. So my senses But it's never My original plan was to skirt around most of Valentin's material in this score while recording this episode, as it initially made no impression on me. When I was listening to the London album, I was growing very bored throughout all of Valentin's material. But then, here comes the Broadway album and Brian Stokes Mitchell, proving the material is actually uh, beautiful by pairing it with his astonishing voice. I wouldn't have thought a rough, sweaty role like Valentin would be suited for a crooner like Mitchell. I think of him as just having this very uh, rich, sonorous voice, not not something that you would associate with the ragged nature of a man pushed to the edge. But it absolutely works. He embodies the character very, very well. Suddenly, Marta resonated with me. This song that we just heard, the clip that you just heard, it resonated with me deeply. So thank you, Mr. Mitchell. You saved me, buddy. You saved me this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's talk about a track that is split down the middle. So the first half of this track is known as Gabriel's Letter, and the second half is known as My First Woman. Now, going back to my opinion on Melina for a moment, on my first go-around with this show, I really resented how he seemed to be written as this gay man who consistently fell for the straight guys in his life. It seemed like it was part of his doomed existence, that tragic gay figure that seemed so inhuman to me. It seemed childish, underdeveloped, and frankly pathetic. I even compared him to a loyal dog in my original batch of notes. But now I'm willing to concede that Melina is simply incredibly lonely and his options are extremely limited. Again, I'm not sure when exactly this is supposed to take place. We can assume it's the 70s, but he's living in a time where almost no one he knows is out of the closet. Stepping out could result in your arrest because God knows sting operations were likely on the police's agenda. He's betting on subtle looks, winks, scraps, any indication that affection can be earned from someone. So the first half of this song, Gabriel's Letter, paints Gabriel the waiter as a kind, understanding man who feels sorry for Melina's arrest, his plight. But as we learn later, Gabriel wants nothing to do with Melina and is actually vaguely disgusted by him. There's almost no room for a man like Melina in the world he sees around him, so it's no wonder he chooses to lose himself in dreamscapes. I really enjoy the first half, but the second half of the song, My First Woman, as sung by Valentine, it's about Valentine losing 
losing his virginity. It kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. And not even Brian Stokes Mitchell can make this interesting to me. That That's where I drew a line. It strives for elegance, but isn't nearly as successful as other numbers when it comes to teaching us more about the character. I don't really need to hear about Valentin popping his cherry with a prostitute in a back alley. It doesn't tell us anything about his relationship with Marta. It's just very self-contained, very uh, sealed off from the rest of the show, and I think it could very easily be lifted out. just now, just for funsies, but feel free to skip the morphine tango. As a rule, I have this rule for myself. I'm generally put off by song titles that invoke the tango or the blues. When you use those words in your song title, what you wind up getting is usually a pale facsimile of either form, and this is no exception, unfortunately. I mean, if you really need to hear male ensemble members singing about how to properly inject morphine into your veins, have a great time. Me and I get a little queasy, and this is not the right kind of cheese for me, if you know what I mean. I wouldn't put this between a couple slices of bread and make a sandwich out of it. A little bit too ridiculous. Morphine tango. No thank you very much. It's one of my it's one of my stronger criticisms at this point. Everything else got cleared away, but the morphine tango, it's just kind of dumb and doofy, so let's not even worry about that. I don't think I'll play a clip from You Can Never Shame Me, just for the sake of time, again, but you can Never Shame Me finds Molina speaking once again with the image of his mother, this projection of his mother. And during this number, she swears the love she holds for her son is unflinching and undying. But this has to be another lie, right? If Gabriel is a saint in Molina's visions and utterly dismissive in real life, it leads me to think Molina's mother is far less accepting than he would imagine her to be, want her to be. It's one thing to idolize a movie star he's never met, but Molina's insistence on glossing up actual figures from his day-to-day is what prevents him from living an honest and honestly happy life. So thematically, it's very interesting to me. The song doesn't make much of an impact overall, just in terms of it doesn't pop, but I, I do like the themes that it's it's advancing. It's helping to advance that theme specifically for Molina's character. She wears satin, Spanish lace. She feels wild, chinchilla brush across her face. She's lucky. She's a woman. I have a question from my first batch of notes, and I'm still turning it over in my head. I, you know, I listened to this song, She's a Woman, which is another song for the character of Molina, and I asked myself, would Terrence McNally consider Molina to be a trans character? The novel's version of Molina makes it clear the character is a trans woman, but the evidence pulled from the albums is never explicit. Obviously, I regret not being able to read the musical's book, its script now more than ever. During She's a Woman, Molina does openly wish he could be a woman. That's the last lyric in the song. But he spends the vast majority of the song focusing on a very specific, very luxurious female aesthetic. Molina seems to covet the stuff we associate with the female gender, stereotypically. The creams, the perfumes, the jewelry, etc., as well as a woman's unquestioned attraction to men. A woman's ability to be attracted to men and not have that called out by anybody. So presumably, if he were a woman, he would never have to worry about homophobia again. Uh, At the end of the day, I can't tell if Molina's attitude is, oh, it would be nice to be a woman, or no, in my heart, I 
feel I identify as a woman. I would love to get McNally's opinion on this. Uh, the phones are open. Terrence, uh, again, I defer to you. I trust you. I, I bask in your... Uh, I, re- I revere you. It sounds like I'm being a little ridiculous. And that's because I am being a little ridiculous. But the phone, it's still... It's right there, Terrence. I'm just saying. Uh, I, I was being a little silly just now. I, I'm not going to... Uh, you're I'm not going to dip you in gold, okay? Put you at the base of Mount Sinai. Worship you during a fuck-all orgy. But I would like to hear your thoughts on this. I, I Of course, I uh, really wish I could have read that goddamn book. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that question probably gets answered on, like, what, page five of the fucking book by the Chicago Public Library System. It just moved a little too slowly. Again, I'm being ridiculous. I'm being silly. It's my fault. It's my fault. I should have done the work. Should have gone to Harold Washington, picked it up myself. But I decided to be lazy. So this is what I get. If there's a war on, don't bring me the news. Ask me to pull fights and I must refuse. But if you want to get my attention, let's make Give Me Love is another rock-solid fantasy number for Cheetah Rivera. I realize I've referenced her as Cheetah as well as Rivera, but if anyone deserves to have their full name cited each and every single goddamn time, it's Cheetah goddamn Rivera. Now, I was exaggerating my appreciation for Terrence McNally a second ago. I'm not actually a hyper fan of Terrence McNally. Uh, Maybe if I read his many, many plays, he's very prolific, I would get to that point. I would dip Cheetah goddamn Rivera in gold. I would put her at the base of Mount Sinai, and I think she would appreciate a Bacchanalian orgy in her honor. Uh, This number led me down a rabbit hole of quest. The big one being, why did Kander and Ebb never develop a review for Cheetah Rivera as they did with Liza Minnelli? Liza with a Z, but with Cheetah Rivera. Now, true, we did get Cheetah Rivera, The Dancer's Life, a show that was about her life. The book was written by Terrence McNally. It ran on Broadway in 2005, but I can't help but imagine what might have been. Gimme, 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 Cheetah, gimme, Cheetah. Gimme, 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 Cheetah. Gimme, 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 We have uh, two more songs that I'm going to pull from the score here. The first is The Day After That. Someday we'll be free. I promise you we'll be free. If not tomorrow, then the day after that. And the candles in our hand will illuminate this land. If not tomorrow, then the day after that. And the world that gives us pain, that fills our lives with fear, on the day after that, will disappear. And the war we fought to win, I promise you we will win. If not tomorrow, then the day after that, or the day after that.
I went from thinking this should be dismissed at first. I went from thinking this should be dismissed with the likes of Miss Saigon's Buidoy. It just sounded like a lot of yelling, uh, a lot of yelling from men, which I, I, as we understand, I got really sick of in, during my time with Miss Saigon. But I went from that place, that position, to getting a thousand kicks out of it. Oh, I got all the kicks out of it, I do say. And you know who I have to thank for such a transition? Uh, that's right, uh, Mr. BSM himself, Brian Stokes Mitchell, again, rising to this song's vocal challenges, exceeding them like it's nothing. But more importantly, he made me care about Valentine's backstory and dreams of revolution. Not an easy thing, as I initially pegged Valentine as a snarling alpha male sketch of a character. But Brian Stokes Mitchell, you hooked me and you gave him life. You did the work. In anyone else's hands, I would be bored. But Brian Stokes Mitchell is the one example I can think of where he he's bringing so much of himself. It, it takes the character to new heights. Uh, it, it really is pretty astonishing. And again, all I'm doing is listening to him. I don't have him right in front of me, but he just, he comes right through the fucking earbuds and he is grabbing my attention. It's, it's truly amazing. And then finally, we have the titular number, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Sooner or later in sunlight or gloom, when the red candles flicker, she'll walk in the room and the curtains will shake and the fire will hiss. Here comes her kiss. But you're caught in the web of the spider woman in her velvet cape. You can scream, but you cannot escape. This is, as I said, the final song in our analysis. And while I don't think it's as good an Aurora number as Where You Are or Gimme Love. There is a spooky Whirligig Carnival quality I appreciate here. It's actually really not fair for me to compare the song Kiss of the Spider Woman to the likes of Where You Are or Gimme Love. Those, you know, very vampy, high-energy numbers. And this is supposed to be, as I said, very spooky and very strange. So they're going for very different things. They have very different goals. Uh, if anything else, it surely provided Cheetah Rivera about a hundred opportunities to, you know, throw back her head and cock a darkened eyebrow. And how can you get enough of that? Inject that into my veins, like the aforementioned morphine. That's the kind of morphine tango I want to dance in. Uh, so that is, that's it. That's our deconstruction of the Kiss of the Spider Woman score. And now, you know, normally we would get a uh, quick word from our sponsor, 5678Coffee, uh, but we have another that's right, another brand new Patreon donor. Her name is Jenna. Jenna, thank you very much for becoming a regular donor. I appreciate your generosity to the nth degree. And so uh, she reached out to me and she determined, she dictated who she would like to hear from for her musical shout out. And so we're going to get that now. Jenna, enjoy. And now, an MTI conversation piece with Stephen Sondheim on the nature and execution of the musical shout-out. Uh, hello, it's uh, me, Stephen Sondheim here. Thank you very much for sitting down with me. As you can see, I am sitting at a piano. Uh, I am I am at a piano. There are no keys. Uh, the keys have been mysteriously removed, so unfortunately you will not be hearing me uh, playing the piano. Uh, but I am surrounded by uh, jungle plants, and if you want, there is some biscotti on a small tray uh, over there. We filmed, uh, we filmed a bit of footage earlier today in which I pretended to casually eat the biscotti it was very hard for me. We did about 60 takes, and I, I choked during about 35 of them. Uh, according to my count, I choked on 35. Very nervous in front of the camera. Uh, but I'm in front of the piano. There are no keys, but it's a piano nonetheless, and so I feel a little bit more at ease. And I want to talk to you about the nature and execution of the musical shout-out. And, you know, a lot of people think it's, uh, it's they would say it's easy. You know, it's easy. Well, it's easier to say than to do. Isn't that the phrase? Uh, easier said than done. And so I, I'm going to just scratch my uh, salt-and-pepper beard here for a second. 
I just, I'm gonna, I have a bemused smile on my face. I'm a Stephen Sondheim. I just, it amuses me. It kind of tickles, tickles me in my funny bone. This idea that the musical shout out is something that you can just do. And it's not just something that you just do. You don't wake up in the morning. You gotta, you don't wake up in the morning and spill into it, do you? No, you don't. You have to really put in the work. So I would say that a couple of key, uh, key points when uh, when developing a musical shout out uh, is is just don't don't be lazy you know just don't make it up on the spot uh, improv is it, it's one thing uh, to help in the in the brainstorm sort of workshopping session improv can be a, a good tool for you uh, but don't bring that to the table at the end of the day that can't be your final product don't just make it up as you go along uh, really do the work right write it down write it all down prepare re- rehearse 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 this is my uh, why why wouldn't I Stephen Sondheim push the idea of rehearsal it's 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 helpful in any in any context. You know? I would say. And then finally, in regards to the execution, uh, you'll want to, let's just say that we were going to involve the phrase musical shout-out in our musical shout-out. So uh, let's just, if I were to sing the phrase musical shout-out, I would say musical shout-out, musical shout-out. That's how I would do it. Uh, And again, no keys here on this piano, so I can't really plink and plunk that out, unfortunately. Uh, But you want to do the musical that's going to be quick, and it's going to be quicker than you think. And, and you, you know, you might want to give your, you would think to yourself, eh, maybe I can be a little lazy, you know, give myself a little bit more breathing room and say, musical. No, it's musical. Okay? If you want to, if you want to sing it in the style of me, is what I'm saying, that's how I'm saying it. Musical. So really, you know, limber up, you know, really vocalize before you dive into uh, such a challenge, because it's a very fast musical. Musical shout out. And that's the surprise, isn't it, right at the end? So we got the shout out. And I'm not, I'm not as warmed up as I would like to be, but I want to hear that T. There are two T's in the shout out. So a shout out, musical shout out. That's it. That's better. See, I, 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 I'm a little sleepy myself. I'm a very sleepy fellow. <laughs> I'm smiling in a bemused way. I'm a very sleepy fellow, and, and even it, it falls on me sometimes uh, to uh, rehearse a little bit, uh, vocalize more, warm up more uh, before I sit down in front of this camera. I'm so <laughs> nervous, but I'm also charming and fatherly. I will uh, take you into my bedroom and do nasty things. <laughs> uh, so that's those are my tips for uh, seeing the phrase musical shout out. Uh, what 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 you do beyond that? It's up to you. So I, I you know, uh, if you want to surround yourself with jungle plants, uh, that always helps me. It helps me uh, get in the mood a little bit. I would not suggest eating biscotti because it, it's only going to dry your throat, uh, and you might choke on it, uh, which is what I did. Normally, I don't choke, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm very good in regards to taking it. But uh, in regards to biscotti, I just get a little squeamish. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, so thank you for listening to this, uh, watching this VHS tape. And uh, good luck. Good luck out there. Um, and now I am just going to... Uh, there is a young man in my shower who is uh, bonded by leather straps, and he's been up there for about six hours. And I have a feeling he's going to want some biscotti and a little something else to eat, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he's going to eat my ass. Uh, so so I say goodbye to you, and uh, if you want to watch the tape again, rewind it. That's how VHS tapes work. Okay, uh, goodbye. Thank you very much. Goodbye. That was a MTI conversation piece with Stephen Sondheim on the nature and execution of the musical shout-out. Thank you for listening. Final thoughts on Kiss of the Spider-Woman. I'm so grateful for the 180. My brain did when it comes to this week's subject. I've been filled with gratitude throughout this entire episode, and I'm glad that I'm just dishing it out so freely, just repeating myself. I, normally, I would sort of berate myself for using the same words and phrases, getting a little bit monotone in that regard. But I'm, I'm very optimistic here, and I'm very uh, gleeful in regards to uh, this turnaround that I did. This episode could have been so miserable and nasty, and it really wasn't, so hooray. Uh, Spider-Woman may not be the gold standard, on Candor and Ebb collaborations. That would arguably be Cabaret or Chicago, depending on how you like to bread your butter. But it's packed with grade A material, and if you can get fantastic vocalists on it, uh, that that material is going to soar all the more. Let's get another revival up and running. I would be very interested in that. It's been quite a while, hasn't it? It's been a while since the 90s. (laughs) We would like to think the 90s babies would like to think it was just yesterday. But it's been quite some time. Now, as a reminder, Kiss of the Spider-Woman did win the 93 Award for Best Musical, and the other nominees that year were Blood Brothers, The Goodbye Girl, which we have, of course, discussed on the podcast, and The Who's Tommy. None of the other nominees can hold a candle to Kiss of the Spider-Woman. Uh, not even Blood Brothers, which I was fairly obsessed with while in college, but is admittedly pretty dopey. Have no fear, Spider-Woman. Your reign shall not be threatened this day. Please don't kiss me. I am not ready to die. <laughs> Let's rank the show, shall we? I'm going to put this at number seven on our list 
list right between Kiss Me Kate and Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Uh, who knows how this list will change? It's been a while since we've seen a shakeup. I very specifically went through the entire list again just to see if I wanted to move anything else around. Uh, but right now, I, I'm not of the opinion that anything should change. Again, if you want to see that current ranking, go to our Twitter profile, Musical Man Pod. There is a pinned tweet that will direct you to a Google Sheet, and I believe it's the second tab marked Ranking, and you'll be able to see Kiss of the Spider Woman there added. It should be right there. When you look at it, you'll find it right there in slot number seven. Thank you very much. I do have a quick bit of show-related ephemera for you this week. I watched Cheetah Rivera perform the titular Kiss of the Spider Woman song as part of, wait for it, the 1993 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Only she's decidedly not on the parade route. Instead, it's a totally pre-recorded music video video package in which she simply stands in front of a very ridiculous, like the worst witch level Halloween cobweb graphic. The video didn't leave much of an impression until the number ended and we cut to the parade's host, Katie Couric. Her comment, you're going to hear it now. Miss Muffet away. Wow, that could frighten Miss Muffet away. It's great. It's perfect. You know how the Met Gala's theme this year was camp? Why didn't someone dress up as Katie Kirk from the 93 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and walk around saying, wow, that could frighten Miss Muffet away? That's my definition of camp. Everyone has a very loose as water in a sieve definition of what camp is and isn't. But for for my fucking money, that's what it is. (laughs) It makes it totally worthwhile. Other performers from that year's parade, by the way, Rafi, Stevie Wonder, Kelsey Grammer, and Spider-Man. Now, there was a Spider-Man balloon, but the Macy's Wikipedia Thanksgiving fandom website lists Spider-Man as a performer as well. So, two spiders at the same parade? I gotta know that backstage gossip. What did Spider-Man and the Spider-Woman talk about? Did they kiss? If she kissed him, he'd die. No, we don't want that. Goodness gracious, Peter, watch out. Oh, no, I'll give away his secret identity. Eek, don't listen to this part of the show. Oh, goodness. Of course, this is the point in the show where we would normally take a ride on the musical carousel and dictate which show we discuss next week. But, aha, cut off that little music cue. Yes, I did. Uh, Of course, we have Jenna. Jenna is our new Patreon donor, and so she has the ability to dictate what we discuss next week. That power is in her hands, and she used that power, baby. She told me that next week we are going to be discussing our second Sondheim show. That's right, and it's very obviously the third in my top three. I would put Merrily We Rolled Along at number one, and then in those other two slots, it's sort of all over the place. They could switch at any point, uh, but I have Into the Woods in those top three slots. And then the other one, of course, is next week's subject. He's a demon. He's a barber. He leaves on Fleet Street. He leaves on Fleet Street. He lives on Fleet Street, baby. Yes, work. You are a demon barber of Fleet Street, Sweeney Todd, and we will be talking about you next week. This voice is problematic, and I'm going to put it away in a small box. Put the box under a floorboard. Forget it ever existed. What box? <laughs> there was no box. Stop talking about the box. So I'm so excited to be talking about Sweeney Todd. Thank you for that amazing uh, suggestion. Jenna, we're going to be talking about that next week. If you are uh, listening, thank you. If you uh, want to become a Patreon donor like Jenna and get all kinds of lovely goodies, you can go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. If you donate $1 a month, you get a verbal shout-out each and every week. So here we go with that. Thank you, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. If you donate $3 a month, you get a musical shout-out, much like we heard from Mr. Steven Sondheim this week. If you give $5 a month, not only are you able to dictate what show I discuss on the podcast, but you get access Access to episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. And if you donate $10 a month, that's our top tier, you get access to full-length episodes of The Snub Club, which is a series dedicated
dedicated to Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Uh, donations go toward the purchase of cast recordings, movie rentals, and offsetting Podbean costs. Uh, if we ever match or exceed $100 in total monthly donations, uh, that will result in my producing M3, the movie musical man, in which I tackle trilogies of movie musicals that I think, at this point, this is growing, this is evolving in my mind. I'm doing a lot of planning for when we eventually get to this point. Uh, but the movies are all going to be tied via themes. Who doesn't love a good theme? If you're listening through iTunes, write a review in the iTunes store. Please, please, please go to the iTunes store, write a review if you do, and let me know about that. I'll send you a link to my cover of Light My Candle from Rent. You can stream via Stitcher or musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter, musicalmanpod. I'll give you that again. And email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Email me about anything you want. Questions, opinions, hot takes, whatever you want, baby. I'm here to read your emails, and I'll talk about them on the show. Thank you very much, Alex Green, once again for our beautiful logo. And once again, thank you very much to Zach Little for our music. There's that doorbell, baby. And you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. Muffet away.